All right, get your Bibles open to Mark chapter 6. Now, a few weeks ago, I shared with you that, that the worst thing you can do when you come to church on Sunday is listen to the message for your spouse or for your neighbor or for the person in your row because the Bible is supposed to be a mirror. And how many of you know you look in a mirror to get your hair in order, right? Some of you do that anyway. Um, or to see what you look like in the morning, brush your teeth, make sure nothing's hanging out of your nose and stuff like that. You got to get the point. You look in a mirror, it's to help you. It's to help show us what's, what we really look like so that we can address it. When you read the Bible, the Bible is not for your neighbor. First and foremost, it's for me and it's for you. Amen? And I found this to be the case. I believe that when we're going, I believe God is so sovereign that he orders our steps. The Bible says that. And that means that what happens on Sunday morning, like the passage of Scripture we're reading right now is for us right now in this season of our lives. Now, I've had people come to me, and I, 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 I'm just telling you, I'm innocent. They'll say, Pastor Ron, I know you. Did someone tell you about my situation? I know you were preaching right at me, all right? Now, let me just tell you something. I would never abuse the pulpit to get a dig or, or rub it in and try to get the point across to you about something going on in your life that I'm upset with or that I think you need to know you need to fix about you. I mean, you know, that's an abuse of the pulpit. I, but I don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit does that. And he does it in a way that's so personal and in a way that you can receive it. So when, you're, when you feel like Pastor Ron's preaching right at me, not me, innocent, I'm just up here standing, or Pastor Ron was looking right at me when he said it, like I can control that. <laughs> now, I'm being serious. This is a divine setup every Sunday when we sit, we sit under the word. And it's not Pastor Ron's words. They're not worth a whole lot. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. So when you come, let the word be a mirror to you. Receive the word, apply the word, and then watch God transform your life. Don't be mad at the person next to you or mad at your pastor. Sometimes we want to kill the messenger. Uh, this is a supernatural moment every time we come together. I, I want to just set the stage. Do you realize this is, this is not just an organizational gathering or something. This is a supernatural encounter with God through the Holy Spirit and through his word. Everybody with me? So we're going to talk about something today that I, that I know is irrelevant to probably 95% of you, maybe more. We're talking about being offended. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? This one's for your neighbor, all right? This one's definitely for your neighbor. Americans are currently offended about everything. Like you can't breathe, you offended somebody. Yeah, you, it's just amazing. I mean, we could spend the whole time today just going through all of the reasons why Americans are so offended. Um, but I think this T-shirt that I saw captures it beautifully. And I was even thinking, maybe we need to come out with the Livingstone shirt that says this. We just put the logo somewhere on there, and then we put this on the shirt. It says this. I would like to apologize to anyone I have not offended. <laughs> but please be patient. I will get to you shortly. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, the spirit behind that shirt is not good because that's that person that's looking to uh, stir it up. But how many of you know it pretty much captures the way we, the, the environment that we're in? And I, and I just want to share with you, this is especially tragic because when, when we make, uh, when we're offended, we're offended because we've made an inner verdict. We're like judges who have made a verdict over a person or a situation, 
and we've already prejudged them in our hearts and in our minds. And, and here's the truth. When you prejudge somebody, instantly you shut off your ability to receive anything from that person. Now, let me just apply this to marriages because, oh, this is so good for marriages. When you're offended at your spouse and you judge them for being whatever, I can't believe it, ah, um, instantly you've rendered the verdict up comes the walls, and if your spouse is repentant, or like in my situation, I know my wife's love language is when I run a vacuum cleaner. So, it's very sexy to her, I'm just telling you, all right? But if she's offended at me, I could sweep all day long. I could sweep the neighbor's house, it doesn't matter. I could sweep everywhere. Because as soon as you're offended, a wall goes up, and this is the sad part. If you're offended at somebody and, and that wall goes up, you have allowed no opportunity to ever bring reconciliation until you stop being offended because you're going to interpret every single thing about that person through your lens of offense. And, it's, and, and that lens of offense will simply justify all of your preconceived verdicts about that person. I mean, this is really terrible stuff. And any of you that have been in here know that it can keep you in, in, in a prison uh, that's horrible. This is why the Lord tells us to guard our hearts from that spirit of offense. And I want, you to, I want to read some uh, Proverbs 19, verse 11. It says, good sense, in other words, a person with good sense, common sense, prudent, wise, is going to be slow to anger. Being a hothead is not anything that God celebrates. And so if any of us in this room say, oh, pastor, uh, I've got this short fuse, that, that is nothing to tolerate or to be proud of. In fact, God condemns it. It is something you should be asking God to free you of as fast as you can, as fast as he can. And look what it says next. Good sense makes one slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook offenses. Now, I found people that think they're spiritual. They call it discernment. But discernment and being offended at everybody are not the same thing. The Bible says this. Love, people who are full of the love of God, 1 Corinthians 13, barely notice when other people do it wrong. Isn't that crazy? We think when we're super spiritual, we're able to pick out all the faults in our neighbor. No, you're not super spiritual. You're carnal. You're carnal. And you're wounded yourself which is why you can't look at anybody else without having a, a needle in your hand to pop their balloon and to bring them down to your level of misery because you want everybody to be equally miserable as you. And people that are super offended are so great at taking everybody else's joy bubbles and popping them. The spiritual person hardly notices when people are doing something wrong because they're so full of the love of God. Love, the Bible says, covers sin. It doesn't expose it. Now, we're not saying we hide sin under the rug and we embrace it and we tolerate it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the way we love one another and the way we see one another. Now, let me just tell you, it's, it's, it's terrible when we live offended with our brothers and sisters, but can you imagine being offended with Jesus? You think, well, Pastor, nobody would be, really be offended at Jesus. Well, look at what Jesus said, Luke chapter 7. Verse 23, I got a couple of different translations here. Look at the Amplified Version. Blessed, joyful, spiritually favored is he who does not take offense at me. How I many you know Jesus wouldn't have said this unless there was a bunch of people being offended by him? 
Look at, look at the uh, English Standard Version. Blessed is, is the one who is not offended by me. We are a few weeks back. We were in uh, the, the parable of the sower. This is Mark chapter 4. Listen in light of what I'm preaching on today. Listen to what it says. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately they are offended and displeased at being associated with me, Jesus, and they stumble and fall away. So how many of you know there are people that are like rah-rah Christians until something happens that's challenging in their lives, and then they get offended at the gospel. They get offended at Jesus. They get offended at the Bible. They get offended at church, and then they just stop coming. Uh, because the, here's the deal. They allowed something in life to creep into their heart, and they made a judgment and a verdict against Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you know when you are offended by Jesus Christ, there's no more scary place to be because you're separating yourself from the grace that's necessary to save you. You're, you're cutting off your ability to receive forgiveness. I mean, a person who is offended at God is in a scary, dangerous place. And I'm going to give you, just in Mark chapter 6, five different examples of ways that good Christian people get offended, sometimes unsaved people get offended at Jesus Christ. So let's take a look because we don't want to be one of these people. Look with me beginning in verse 1, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, which was his hometown. It says the next Sabbath he was... He began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And, and tell me this wasn't an amazing church service, because listen to what they said. Where did he get all this wisdom and the power? Where did this power come from to perform such miracles? Now, this, is, this was an incredible Sunday morning service. There was the wisdom of God from the lips of God himself, and there was the power of God backing up the preaching of the Word of God. I mean, this was a great church service. Everybody should have been saying, "Woo! can't wait till next Sunday. But look at what happens next. Look at the response. Then they scoffed. How many of you know scoffing should not be a logical response to what just happened? Why were they scoffing? Listen to this. He's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters. Yeah, we know his sisters. They live right here down the street. And look what it says. They were deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. Deeply offended. Now, this is important. I want you to see when, when they said he's just a carpenter, how many of you know we can get so familiar with people's humanity and weakness that we fail to see the glory of God or the anointing of God or the call of God on somebody's life because we're offended by their humanity. In other words, they couldn't get past what he did for a living. This guy, Jesus, was building things like their bed frames, their kitchen tables, their chairs, whatever, whatever carpenters were building in those days. Many of them probably said, well, we eat at the table that we bought from your shop. And here's what they were really saying. Who do you think you are? You're, you're, we know you. We know your sisters. Who do you, who do you think you are? Here, wait a minute. You're too big for your britches. Let, let me ask you. Have, have any of you ever seen somebody that you felt like they were too big for their britches? We, go, we don't know hands here. We, we all just go. <laughs> but you know what? When, when your judgment on somebody else's life is who, who do you think you are? How many you know that there might be coming from a little bit of insecurity and pride in my own heart? Because if I was secure in who I knew I was, I wouldn't have to shoot down who somebody else thought they were. I could just love them. 
But what they're doing is they're going, who do you think you are, Jesus? You're too big for your britches. We know your family. We know where you live. We know your sisters. Who are you trying? Oh, and ready for this? They get another dig in here. In the Bible, family members were all identified by son of so-and-so. How many of you have read, read that? It's not what they said. They said, you're the son of Mary. You know what they were saying? We don't even know who your dad is. Because you're a bastard, and your mom is a whore. We're reading between the lines, because we don't even know who you are. Who do you think you are? How many of you know when, when we judge one another by our past, instead of judging by what Christ is doing in us and believing that there's hope for everybody, we can start looking at people through the natural. Now, let me just say something else. How I many you know we're supposed to be familiar with Jesus? We, we preach a personal relationship with God. Amen? Amen? The Lord wants to be intimate with us. We're supposed to be the sheep who hear his voice. Jesus is all about intimacy, but please hear this. He's not about familiarity. Amen. There's a huge difference. Sometimes we're way too familiar with Jesus as the Son of God. Yes, he's the son of man. Yeah, he's a carpenter. He works with his hands. He builds things. That's what I admire about Jesus. How many know Jesus can relate to the average man, all right? He worked hard. We all identify with his humanity, but we can't get so familiar with it that we miss the glory of God and that we treat his word or we treat him uh, in a familiar way where he doesn't get the honor, the submission, the glory, the obedience that he deserves. How I many you know he is God Almighty? And the worst thing we can do is ever lose our fascination of who Jesus is and get so familiar with him, ready for this, that we dumb him down or we make him in our own image, which is what a lot of churches are doing these days. Dumbing him down, making him more uh, friendly, making him more embraceable, to a world that's a thousand miles away from the heart of God. Amen. And, uh, and it's a dangerous thing. And so watch familiarity because here's the thing too. When Jesus isn't who he says he is, but Jesus is who you want him to be, you fall into a spirit of unbelief. Because when Jesus doesn't set the standard, but you do, you have no faith to believe because you're now the standard and we all know how we fall short and we're not the ones that can do these things anyway. So you have to watch that we don't embrace an offense because as soon as we do, we, we can't believe anything the person we're offended with has to say. And I say this again. Please don't ever allow an offense to stay in your heart with your pastor because the moment you do, I will become an idiot. To you. To you, I will be an idiot. And you know what you'll find yourself saying? I just don't get anything out of the services over there. But really, that's not what's happening because if we're preaching the Bible, everybody should be getting something out of service. Really, what you're saying is, I'm upset at the past. So can you please know that's my office right over there. The door's always open. If you got anything on your heart towards me that we need to get right, let's do it. I had somebody call the other day. They're on my calendar for a couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to sit down. Uh, wanted to clear the air on something. That's how godly people deal, deal with conflict. But what we don't allow is a spirit of offense because it will destroy you. Yeah. Yeah. And it will destroy what God's trying to do. Because listen, what it does is it creates unbelief. And then when unbelief comes in, we become a normal institution that's man-led and we cut off the flow of the miraculous. 
Jesus said in his own hometown, I could only do a couple puny little miracles because of their unbelief. I mean, you know, we don't want to limit the move of God. So here's the practical takeaway from your pastor. Refuse to be offended. Refuse to be offended. We're going to have a chance at the end to deal with, with those areas. Let's go to the second one. They were offended by familiarity. They were also offended by his message. Look at, uh, in your Bible, you'll see that uh, it says Jesus sends out the 12. That's the next major heading. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. He said, guys, wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or refuses to listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So here's my question. In the Jewish culture, hospitality was at the top of the game. Like if a stranger came into town, you opened your home for them or somebody did. Everybody was bending over backwards to take care of guests who were coming into their town. Why would a guest say, get out of my house or get out of our town and you're not welcome? What would cause them to do that? Let me tell you. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 12. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons, and they healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. This is the one place in the Gospels where we, we specifically are given this little tidbit of information about anointing with oil. That's why we have oil up here. That's why we anoint you with oil when we pray for you, because it is a symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is a tangible touching point uh, for God to move in your life, all right, as it relates to biblical examples here. But here's my point. They're preaching the gospel, and then signs and wonders are following. Please hear this. The gospel always proceeds. It's always the people's greatest need. Always start with the gospel. Always point people to Jesus. Signs and wonders follow. But how many of you know the demonic deliverance and the healing of the body is not our primary need? People could get healed and still go to hell. Think about it. In fact, we're not going to get to John 6 today. That's another study. But in John 6, a bunch of people left Jesus because all they were interested in was a free meal and getting healed. They weren't interested in a Savior. Here's the first step to knowing Christ. Repent. Stop living the way you're living and turn your heart and listen, embrace Jesus fully with all your life. Amen. That is offensive. Amen. It always will be offensive. And listen to me, you can't even get saved until you overcome an offense. Yes, that's right. Who's the offense from? From Jesus. Amen. Because sinners, all of us, do not like to be told, stop living the way you're living. Amen. Turn around. Humble yourself. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, forgive me for my mouth. Forgive me for my evil heart. Forgive me for how I'm acting. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. That is the first baby step to having an encounter with God. It doesn't matter if you come to church, if you're an usher, you're a greeter, you work in the parking lot, you give money. None of it matters. If you have not repented and completely yielded your life to Christ, you, have you haven't taken the first baby step to salvation. That's why Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Who are you? Jesus, we prayed in your name. We went to worship night. and We danced. Did you repent of your evil ways and did you turn your heart to God? Amen. And have you given him your life? 
not part of your life. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? That is the message that caused people to say, get out of our town. Get out of my house. Now, how many of you know you don't have to say that in a mean, nasty way? You can say it and should say it with tears coming down your cheek when you're sharing the gospel with people because repentance is a great thing. It means you don't have to live your self-centered, narcissistic, uh, wicked, unhealthy life forever. There's better life to live. There's a better future for you in Jesus Christ. Repentance is good news, but it's offensive. And if you were not offended on your way into the kingdom, I would question whether or not you heard the full gospel. Uh, because it, because it is life changing, and it demands Jesus demands utter repentance. All right, it's going to get worse. Let me dig the hole deeper. What happens next in this chapter? <laughs> the death of John the Baptist. Now take a look. I don't have time to read that whole section because we're jumping through the whole chapter today. But take a look at how we can be offended by the truth. It says in verse eighteen. Look with me. John had been telling Herod. Period. Let's stop right here. Who's Herod? This is Herod Antipas. He was one of three sons of Herod the Great, which is a misnomer because Herod wasn't great. Herod was a wicked, evil, evil uh, ruler. Herod the Great was the one who, when he heard about the birth of the Messiah, he had all the children under the age of two slaughtered, all the male children. How I many you know this is a wicked, wicked man, and his sons were just as evil as he was? So John was telling Herod, this wicked ruler, political leader, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. Now, I just got to pause here because we're living in Wokeville in the church. There are people in the church that say Christians should never share biblical morality on people who don't believe in Christ and who are unsaved. In other words, what, what John the Baptist just did there would not be acceptable in, America, in most, much of the American church today. People would be saying, John, I, we know you're a prophet, but Herod doesn't believe like you, so who do you think you are to impose your morality on a wicked Herod? Maybe he understands that the Jesus he follows has authority over everyone, whether you believe in him or not, that the law of God, which is the gospel, applies to everyone, whether you believe or not. So imagine this. Herod walks to the most powerful and wicked and perverted ruler and starts talking about his sex life publicly. And guess what happened to his wife? A woman scorned. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Now, let me just say this. We live under the rule of law. We're a constitutional republic founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Praise the Lord, or most of us will be dead. Because here's what happens when you live in a lawless land. If, so, if one of you ticks me off and offends me in my heart, I start going, I hate you. And then I, I meditate on it a little bit more, and I go, I would like to kill that guy. And you know what? In wicked countries, that's what you have the permission to do because there's no accountability, and it's lawless, and you just go kill him. Herodias is like, I hate this guy. Why? Because she just said, I can't have that guy in my bed. Well, who do you think you are? to start telling me about my love life. 
Now, I don't know if this applies. You guys think this applies to modern America at all? Because every time we try to apply the law of God to public policy as it relates to sexual ethics, we get this blowback. And I just want to tell you, loudly and clearly, you better not be offended for what Jesus says or what those who represent him. John the Baptist, greatest prophet in the Old Testament out of the lips of Jesus, declaring the truth in public about sexual ethics. So let's just be clear. Fornication is evil. It leads to a host of, it leads to the sexual revolution that we're in today. Cohabitation is not what God has prescribed for marriage. It's a cheap counterfeit that will destroy the very relationship that you think is so precious. Adultery is a grave evil against God Almighty. Men having sex with men is wicked. Women having sex with women is wicked and evil. Men dressing up like women and going to libraries and reading children's books is totally perverted and wicked and evil. Well, who says? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. So I'll I'll tell you right now, I've already drawn the line in the sand. I am not going to be offended for the gospel. I am not going to be offended for what Jesus says about sexual behavior. Listen to me. When Jesus says those things, he is not condemning you. He's inviting you and me to freedom and blessing and prosperity. He's trying to keep people from being destroyed. He's trying to keep hearts from being trampled. He's not angry at us. He's inviting us to freedom. I never, ever want to apologize for the gospel. I never want to apologize for thus saith the Lord. But I'm telling you, when you preach truth about anything, people will be offended. And I just want to say something loudly and clearly because it ticks me off. I'm not offended, but I'm almost offended. All right. (laughs) I hear people say all the time, ah, you Christians, blah, 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 blah. No, listen to me. I wouldn't trade you folks for anybody in the whole world. You're beautiful. You're loving. You're kind. Oh, you're not perfect. We're all in process. But, but I'd take you all over anybody. I'll take the church of Jesus Christ over any organization entity out there. I get so sick and tired after you declare the truth, people who are offended trying to, trying to push you back down to wherever they want to put you down, pop your bubble, whatever they want to do. I'll take the church of Jesus over anything in the whole world. You look like Christ. You act like Christ. You treat people like Christ. This is a place where people get loved to life. I'll fight for that all day long. So if someone wants to get on us because we're against this or that or the other thing and say, don't take it up with us. Take it up with our boss. His name is Jesus. Thus saith the Lord over and over again. Now we say it with a smile because we love people, but by golly, you must stand for truth and quit backing down on where Jesus has clearly made a declaration. This is not rocket science. Read your Bible and listen. Embrace what God has to say about reality. Or else you can be God and make up your own reality and see how that works for you. You can be offended at the gospel and see how that works for you. Well, I just don't see the, wor- the Lord moving in my life. Who do you have unforgiveness towards? Yes. That's right. Jesus. 
You know, I've been praying for healing, and it just seems like God's not healing me. Who do you have an offense towards? Come on, I'm just being real. Because the offense will block the supernatural move of God in your life. And can I just tell you something? Those who are used the greatest by the Lord have often had to, offend, have had to forgive the most. Look at Jesus. Who, who was attacked and had the opportunity to be offended more than Jesus? And yet who walked in the glory of God more than Jesus? He chose not to take up an offense. He was the stumbling block. He was the stone of offense. And he says, don't be offended by me. Submit to me. Don't get mad at me. I'm trying to help you. Trust me. Have faith in me. Listen to me. Do what I'm asking you to do. Take me up on this. All right, I got it going. You guys are talking too much. Look at the next one. <laughs> Number four. How about this is such a good one. Offended by ministry. Pastor, we, we don't get offended over ministry. Oh, yes, we do. Let me explain. <laughs> this was the feeding of the 5,000. But I find some very interesting details that Mark includes in his account. It says in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. Remember, he sent them out to do the stuff. And they, they came back. They told him everything that happened. They were, they were so excited. And then Jesus said, hey, guys, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest for a while. How many of you know quiet and rest is healthy? And I want to encourage all of you to take vacations, take time to unplug, take time to be alone with Jesus. It's all good. Jesus says, guys, I know you've been busy. It's working hard. Let's get away. Jesus is taking the guys on vacation. This is awesome. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles, listen, didn't even have time to eat. Now, how many of you know now we're dealing with a serious crisis? <laughs> have any of you ever been on a, on a fast? <laughs> and after about day three, you're like a, a zombie. <laughs> Ah, your, your patience is out the window. You're, what? What did you want? What? Hey, I told you today. Yeah, I mean, and then that, this inspired, by the way, those Snicker bar commercials, you know. Hmm. So here's what's happening. They need a break. They need rest. Jesus recognized it. They haven't, they've been so busy ministering to people, they haven't even had time to have lunch. I want you to see people's humanity coming out. I think this is actually quite funny. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many of the people recognized them, and they saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore, and they got there ahead of them. So check this out. They all get on the boat, and they're chilling out, and the sun's shining. Maybe Jesus is rowing. I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, they're moving to the other side, and all these excited people, hungry people, start running. And they're like, no. They get to the other side, and all the people that they just left, hey, guys, we've been waiting for you. They weren't, let's put it, the guys weren't that excited, but Jesus was. Take a look at what happened. Jesus saw them, and he's got compassion. He says, you're like sheep without a shepherd. So he instantly starts teaching the gospel, teaching the gospel of the kingdom to them. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him. They said, hey, Jesus, out of our deep compassion and concern for all these poor people, I'm being sarcastic, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. 
Send the crowds away so they can go to a nearby farmer village and buy something to eat. Have you ever tried to offer help to somebody when you were really trying to help yourself? <laughs> Jesus, we know these poor folks must be terribly hungry. It's been a long day. Let's send them away while they can still go to McDonald's before it closes and maybe they can buy something to eat. Let me put the translation there. We're starving to death and these people will not leave us alone. That's what I said, oh, we would never act like that. I think a few weeks ago I was challenging you all that the call of Jesus is to get into the game. Yes. Like, remember I, I shared that pesky little truth, like the Great Commission applies to all of us, that we should be winning people to Christ, we should be praying for sick people, we should be setting people free that are demonized and watching them experience freedom. Remember we shared all that? And some of you went, <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> I didn't get into it for that. I even had a guy verbalize to me one time. He said, look, Pastor, you know, I just want to come to church. I, I, I don't want to be bothered with anything else. I just, I just want to come to church. Leave me alone. I'm going to go home, and then seven days later, I'm going to come back and, and, and just come to church. Leave me alone. And I, and I didn't. I was just like, hey, no problem. And here's the deal. You don't have to take that up with me. You got to take that up with Jesus. Imagine looking at the Great Commission and reading it in the mirror and then going, no, <laughs> I don't think so. We actually had a staff person one time, bless her heart. We were talking about winning, winning the lost, making disciples, uh, leading life groups in our home, discipling people. I mean, it's the stuff Jesus told us to do. And she said, no, nah, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really want to do that. I said, what do you mean you don't want to do that? Like, this wasn't an invitation. This wasn't Jesus saying, hey, if you guys can spare me a few minutes, you know, the salvation of the planet's kind of high on my priority. If you can, got any time for it, maybe you could help me out. No, he said, go. Go. Go, 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 go. In other words, this wasn't like, a, who wants to join the club? This is the club. This is the whole enchilada, so to speak. How do you look at Jesus and just tell him that you're not going to do certain things because it's not your personality? Like, you don't think he knows who you are? He made you. In fact, your unique personality means you get to do it your unique way. There's no cookie cutter. But, you know, we get offended over the call of ministry because it's messy. And people are messy, and they're not like Jesus yet, none of us. And so we still have to love each other and choose not to be offended. This is messy stuff, I'm telling you. And you can get offended and say, I'm checking out. There's a whole bunch of people called nuns, N -O, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. It means they don't identify with the church any longer. They love Jesus. Love Jesus. I'm spiritual. I love Jesus. Can't stand the church. Really? How do you love Jesus and not love his wife? Yes. Yes. Oh, Jerry, I'm going to fellowship with you, but Terry, she drives me crazy. She ain't coming over. You can come over. We're going to eat, but not Terry. Oh, my gosh, that lady. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Oh, Jesus, I love you. I just hate the church that you shed your blood for. What little funny world are you living in? You're living in a world of offense, and you are so offended, you're deceived. You're thinking God has a special little quiet timeout place in heaven just for you because you don't like anybody else because they're all imperfect. Here's my little heaven, my little personal heaven. Doesn't exist. All right, last point. 
and I got to be quick here. They were offended by divine delays and difficult days. Look at verse 45. After all this craziness, they still haven't eaten yet. And look what verse 45 says. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted. Everybody say insisted. insisted. That his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake. After telling them goodbye, he went up to the hills alone to pray. What happens when Jesus sends them out in the boat? What do they encounter on the lake? A storm. Let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus insist they get into a boat and head into a storm? I'm so offended. If he were God, he would have known. He would have watched the newscast and would have recognized there's a 50% chance of thunderstorms tonight. Why did he send us out here? Jesus. I expect better from God. Why does, Jesus, why does Jesus insist you get in a boat and head to a storm? Is he trying to kill you? No. He's actually trying to train you and to grow you and to teach you that he's Lord over every storm. So why don't we start going, yeah, storm. Things are getting crazy around here. Things are getting a little tight. Oh, my goodness. I'm starting to feel a little uneasy. Hallelujah. Where is Jesus in the storm? Because he tells them. Look, look at what he says. I close with this. He saw them rowing. They're in serious trouble, not just little trouble, serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind. About 3 o'clock in the morning, he comes walking towards them uh, on the water. He intended to go past them. I don't know what that means. That's interesting. But when, <laughs> but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were terrified. He said, look it, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Yeah. Can, can you just turn to your neighbor? Ha, have some fun with me. Tell him this right now. Just tell him this. Don't be afraid. Take courage. The Lord is here. How you know that's good speaking to yourself when it, wait, we're freaking out. Storms everywhere. Ghosts everywhere. No. Be of good courage. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Help me see Jesus. If you're offended, you can't see him. Please hear me. If you're offended, you can't see him. And people get offended because of delays and personal difficulties. If God were real, why am I going through this terribly tough time? Listen, I get it. No one wants to go through terribly tough, painful times. But you know what's never a question? Jesus is in the middle of the storm. Amen. What's that question is the condition of your heart. And go to the last, that last verse, if you would. It tells us why they had the problem. Look at the last verse. Their hearts were too hard to get it, to take it in. Isn't that powerful? They still were freaking out. I think a couple chapters early, didn't they have like deja vu? They were in a boat. Some stuff happened. Jesus calmed the storm. Didn't this like happen already? Now it's happening again. They still ain't getting it. Why aren't they getting it? Is it because they're stupid? No, these guys are bright guys. It's because they're offended. And because it won't sink in. Can we just do something this morning? I, I feel like, they're, they're like how many of you know the word reads me before I preach it to you and it reads you and it goes, it's like a beautiful cycle. So I get to get 
read by the Holy Spirit all week long. And you know the question, you ready for this? I'm connecting some dots. You know the question I'm asking when I'm getting ready to preach this? Lord, who am I offended with? It's a great question, isn't it? Who have you written off? Who do you not, can you not stand thinking about and being around? Because here's the sad thing. Those people are right now quenching the flow of the anointing of God through your life. I had a woman this morning, she said, I hate a certain person because they've robbed from me and they've done this and I hate them, I hate them and I want them to die. And she was just tormented. And when I, what's crazy about it, this is the person that she hates has no knowledge of what, what's going on in her life at all. <laughs> I mean, they're like, see ya, they, they don't even care. This woman is tormented. So let me ask this question. When you're tormented like that, how open are you to hearing the Holy Spirit? How much compassion's flowing out of you when your heart's half full of hatred for somebody else? So you know who gets gypped? You do, and I do. And, and the kingdom of God gets gypped. Jesus gets gypped because he, he died to free us up for so much more. So how about we do this? Can we just believe that this morning was a Holy Spirit set up for offense, that we're going to drive the spirit of offense out of our building? Y'all with me on that? I mean, just kick it out. Get out of living stones. We're not allowing it. We're not accepting it. We're not living there. We want to move in an ongoing, ever-increasing supernatural experience with Jesus that moves in salvation and healing and deliverance until he comes and that it increases in ever-increasing waves of glory. Did I capture that for you guys pretty good? That's what I want. Stand to your feet. Let's, let's get our hearts right with the Lord. And I want our ministry team to come up here. We want to pray for anybody that needs ministry in any way. If you don't know Christ, the first step is repent. And come running to the Lord and say, I want, I want Christ in my life. I, I don't want to be offended by the one who gave his life for me. Father, right now, we just, we just lift our hearts. We lift our hands before you. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Who is it? Who is it that I need to release? Who, what offense do I need to let go from my life? Who do I need to call? Who do I need to write a letter? Who do I, maybe I just need to pray. And maybe I just need to, to confess with my mouth, Lord, that I'm still offended. Whatever way the Lord leads you. But... Lord, we ask you, set us free from the spirit of offense. In fact, we take corporate authority over that spirit. We just say you have no part in this house. This house is a house of prayer for all nations. It's a house of glory. It's a house where the Holy Spirit moves and sets people free. Lord, we're hungry for more of you, not less of you. God, we want to move in a spirit of faith and not a spirit of unbelief. And so, God, we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus, break this stronghold. Some of you, it's been deep and it's been long, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. In the name of Jesus, we break the power of that lie off of you right now. Lord, we ask for grace to be released, a fresh wave of grace, compassion, compassion, Holy Spirit, compassion to be released over this place. Change our eyesight, Lord. Let us see people the way you see them. Lord, may we not be burdened by the brokenness of people. May we love and love and love and love until we feel like we can't love anymore. Father, refresh us, strengthen us, awaken us. Lord, just do a, a, a renovation in our lives today. So we release all the pent-up offenses, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Rest and refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Fill your people. Touch your people. 
Lord, let us overflow with your goodness and kindness everywhere we go. May our faces be lit up with the joy of the Lord and the smile of Jesus everywhere we go. And may it be genuine, God. We love you and we thank you in your mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, love you guys. If you need prayer, come on down. But have a great day. Be free.